Hello and welcome to the History Film Club. I'm Alex von Tunzel, the historian and screenwriter. And I'm Hannah Gregg, a historian and a consultant to film and television. We have an extremely exciting applicant to join the History Film Club this week. Please welcome Hallie Rubenhold. Yay! Uh, Hallie. Yay! <laughs> Hallie is. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Hallie is an acclaimed historian, author and broadcaster, also a historical consultant to film and TV productions. You may well have heard of her super successful bestseller, The Five, which is a book about Jack the Ripper's victims, um, really putting them to the fore and giving us a very new perspective on that history. It won the Bailey Gifford Prize in 2019, which is very prestigious indeed. Um, welcome to the show, Hallie. Thank you for having me. It's great to be on your show with the two of you. Hallie, there's so much that we could talk about. And I think, you know, one of the real distinguishing features of your of your books and your writing is your ability to pull out of the shadows women whose stories have either not been told before or not been fully told or, or been misrepresented. And, you know, we often say with television and film that it's only the famous people whose stories are so often told, yet your work has been adapted quite often uh, for television. So is it just about finding the right story and telling it in a way that works? Do you think that's the key? I, I totally think that's the key. I think it's being imaginative. And uh, I think that's one of the things that history kind of lends itself to, if you allow it, uh, is, is imagination and creativity and how we tell these stories. These stories exist. Well, first of all, you know, you, you have a... Depends... I mean, there are so many stories in history. I mean, it's just like an endless, endless goldmine of story. And I think my frustration is has always been, you know, tell a different story. I want to see something different. Right, I know that person's story. I know, I know this person's story. Let's just do something different. Show me something different. And so, you know, I, I try to practice what I preach and, um, you know, mine for those stories, but then also mine into stories that we think we know already because there's always another side. And one of the things that we know as historians is that history is just a matter of different perspectives. It's, it's very hard to ascribe, you know, and I say this with quotes around it, facts to certain things. You know, facts are, are in, in the perception of those who experienced it, you know, and, and, um, and I think that's the, a wonderful thing about, not only being a historian and unpicking the various strands of history, uh, but it's also one of the fun things about being a storyteller as well. Is it, you know, it's 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 a very similar skill set, and it allows you to really think out of the box, and you know, as I said, be be creative. And and yes, I think that is that is one of the reasons why the the books that I've written have been successful on, on television. Can we start then with going back to, I mean, a show that a lot of people probably have seen, Harlots, which was on Hulu and Amazon and, and which was adapted from your book about Covent Garden ladies, I believe. Is that right? Yes. Um, which is, you know, sort of about these kind of sex workers um, in London historically. And, you know, how do you access those stories? Because often we think these people whose stories weren't necessarily written down in their own voices. How do you go about finding them? That's, again, that's one of my major bugbears is this idea that because people are marginalised, because we haven't heard their stories before, their stories don't exist. I'm just utter, 
utter rubbish. And I remember <laughs> it even being told that when I was a postgraduate by um, <clears throat> a very august emeritus professor who insisted <laughs> that it was not worth pursuing poor people's histories because they couldn't write. So, you know, they haven't left diaries and letters and all the things that we base historical chronicles on. Well, that's complete and utter rubbish. If there's anything I can do, it is to help, I think, to dispel that as as, uh, as some sort of truism, which, you know, which is just isn't true. Um, I, I think that with digitization, it has made things a lot easier to find documents, to find things like, for example, the Harris's List of Come Gone Ladies, um, uh, which Harlots is based on. And, you know, even since I wrote the book, and I wrote the book in 2005, and I can't believe it's been that long ago, and in mm-hmm. that time, digitization was just starting, and there were, I think there were nine extant copies of the Harris's List of Covent Garden Ladies, which was a, <clears throat> a guidebook to London's sex workers in the mid to late 18th century. Um, and since then, even more copies have been found. You know, so so and this is digitization. This is what digitization has done. And the Harris's List basically contains, it's, it's a guidebook, and it contains short biographies to all of these women who worked in the sex trade, and including their names, their addresses, physical descriptions. I mean, this incredible um, material for social historians, um, especially because it, it, in many cases it just talks about quotidian life you know and what it's like you just like you know what people wore and where they lived and how they washed and and in addition to all sorts of sexual practices and things like that and you know and that's great um you know so that's a really useful doc set of documents and 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 similar things exist you know, for many periods, I know going back, the further you go back, the harder it is to find things, but that's not to say that it doesn't exist. But these types of documents exist, and we can build stories of marginalized people and stories of people whose voices we haven't heard um, from even, you know, scraps of documents. Um, that's part of the historian's craft is to be able to do that. I mean, I often introduce my students to, to Harris's list because it's a great um, source material for history seminars. But also I think what your book does and then also what the TV series does is it builds the world around that source. Is It's not just a kind of list of these women and their prices, but how do you then think about their lives in a fuller way and also create a story of their authority and their power, you know, their own kind of stories told from their own perspectives. And I think Harlots, you know, on screen does that very well for a general audience where they have a power, even though they're sex workers, they have a a certain degree of control over their lives. And and I think it helps people move on from this, you know, kind of list this document into a, a fuller world of history. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I agree. I think it's, you know, there are lots of ways in which the Harris's List can be looked at and regarded. And, you know, I, I, I was once speaking to one historian who was, who's a social historian and, you know, and he said this is about, you know, 20 odd years ago when he first looked at the lists and he just kind of thought, oh, right, well, this is just pornography and just kind of threw it aside. <laughs> and I think that's so, it's, it's you know, I think with, with hindsight, he, he recognized how, uh, you know, narrow vision that is. I mean, even with pornography, I mean, this is the extraordinary thing is like even with pornography, something like, um, 
there's a, a an anonymous set of books uh, by a man called Walter written in the 19th century called My Secret Life, which is, they are just extraordinary and they are hardcore pornography. I mean, this man was, the man who wrote this was not well, right. shall we say. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was really not well and there's some deeply dark and unpleasant things in there. I will not go into details about, but I think you can imagine. Um but what is so interesting about this is as you're reading this type of manuscript book is is that after a while all of the the repetitive nature of the sex kind of falls away and what you see is the framework of how people interacted around sex about what daily life was like you know how they paid for things where they went what clothes they wore how they spoke um you know the geography of london the geography of any number of cities you know how daily life operated and and to to kind of discount sets of documents because they don't fit the model of what we would think of as well that's an appropriate document for a historical study I, th- I think is 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 narrow visioned and, and 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 wrong totally agree Hallie I think that this has happened a lot historically and you're absolutely right it shouldn't be discounted I wanted to ask you a bit because you were on set quite a lot um, with harlots and I think a lot of Historians, of course, we all have fantasies about our books being turned into film and TV. And just wondering what that was like. What were you being asked to do when you were on set? What's the role of a historical consultant like? Well, I think it's 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 quite variable, as, as Hannah will certainly agree. I mean, it could be anything. They ask you to do anything, and often you, you have no idea what they're going to expect you to do. And, and sometimes the thing that you think that they're going to want you to do, they don't want you to do. <laughs> you know, like, you know, oh, well, you know, I'll go and, you know, the actors will want me to talk to them. No, don't talk to the actors. <laughs> you know, they, they have their own ideas, and you're going to destroy them. You know, and the, something I learned very quickly is, you know, don't ever, ever get between the director and the actors ever you know it's take your direction from what the director or the showrunners want don't don't let the actor say well can I have a conversation with you in my trailer so we can talk through my role I don't understand there's nothing in here and sometimes the director wants it to be that way and um I think in the past I've kind of had my fingers burnt with that um (laughs) but uh, other than that you know it's about I mean there's now, as Hannah will tell you, every project is different what they want you to do. You know, sometimes they they get you in very early on and you're, you're part of, the, you know, the creation of the narrative arc and the possibilities for the characters and what, what is and isn't possible is, then gets written into it. Other times they pull you in you know sort of halfway through the writing process you looking at scripts and assessing them and what can change and what is completely anachronistic and what works or or you know if they don't want to move that that particular plot device how can you work around it what you can what can you do that makes it feel more historically accurate also talking to costume to the art department um being on set for consultation i mean sometimes it's useful just being on set because the various departments want you to have a look at some props or want you to have a look at costumes or you know they want you to do various things it's just it's such a movable feast you know you never you never know what you're going to get and and sometimes you know there's going to be a bad day on set and they really don't want you there and you just have to hide (laughs) (laughs) Hannah does that sound familiar (laughs) yeah (laughs) but often you find that the historians kind of used 
for the decision making as well. And if you're not careful, you can walk into a kind of fairly heated conversation between two different groups in a production and they decide, well, let's decide what the historical, you know, the, the historically accurate version is. And you're just like, wait a minute. <laughs> I, I know. I'm not making this decision for you. I know. <laughs> I'm going to move away. I know. Yeah. I remember I remember. I was on set for the Scandalous Lady W when that was being shot and God, we were running out of time and it was really stressed and it was the last setup of the day. And I realized the room they were setting this up in and the, the shot was going to be right in, in the background was going to be this portrait that had been painted like 40 years after. Don't um, say anything, Hallie. I know, I know. <laughs> And it was like, it's too late to do anything. We can't do anything. It's like, okay, well. And, you know, and people, you know, I, I don't think audiences really appreciate what exactly I mean the, the whole the whole process of historical consulting the whole process of making period drama or any drama I mean it's a complete ensemble you know and it's like there's no one person who gets absolute say in anything you know everybody had there's a voice uh, that you know everybody has a voice and some voices are louder than others and some voices are more important than others but and some voices get lost in the mix and you just get this end product which is an amalgam of all of these things and then the editor on top of it and then the producers picking things away and so it's I don't I'm not so sure if audiences you know because people really go to town sometimes at historical historical inaccuracies and they'll go through an entire series and go well you know they wouldn't have worn that and you know the buttons on that uniform were wrong and you know and and this was wrong and that that house wasn't built at that time and I know because I live in that village um and and it's like well that's great but it just you know film is film and it's not always possible to get things 100 percent i think this is something that i've definitely really learned because having started out being exactly one of these nitpicking people um <laughs> when i wrote real history and then kind of going on to film and tv production myself and kind of seeing on set i think something that again isn't realized sort of from the outside is absolutely right it's a big crew and a collaborative effort but it's also often very chaotic you know you often only get the go-ahead just before filming starts to do it and everyone's trying to put things together really fast mm. and there's quite often something like um on one thing i was working on suddenly there was a very good historical consultant on there looking at military uniforms and a bit of one of them was missing and he was terribly upset about it but there was nothing that could be done because the scene needed to be filmed right then and that's the kind of thing that will get chalked up of course as an inaccuracy and we knew it was inaccurate but at the same time mm-hmm. with the constraints of the world and budget you simply have to proceed you know you can't constantly stop it to get one sash in the right place yeah. <laughs> and most and people won't notice so. yeah. yeah it's interesting how dramas link and build on each other though so I mean I was looking again at the scandalous lady w and harlots you know we have quite a lot of Bridgerton connections <laughs> with those mm. dramas because the you're the director for the scandalous lady w sherry Folkson. she yes. was one of the directors for season one of Bridgerton yeah. yeah and also in harlots we have the amazing Nicola Coughlin who is Penelope in Bridgerton yeah. so you know often mm. crews and casts come with some experience and if they're coming from dramas like those where they've been rooted in excellent books Hallie <laughs> then, then they come <laughs> <laughs> with a weight of, of knowledge um as well and you know I'm kind of interested in how and in how these things build 
between each other and how people move from one from one drama to the next. But, yeah, um, it, it is. It well, I was gonna I was gonna interject on that point, which is very interesting. I was recently watching the new the remakes of Perry Mason. Okay, mm. also a period drama, um, you know, set in in the uh, 1930s in Los mm-hmm. Angeles, and um, which I, I think I think they're really good, by the way. And Shri um, directed that, and um, and Natalie Dormer is also in that. She stars in yeah. the second season. So again, it's uh, you know there is that crossover. <laughs> I mean, we do try to be very positive on the podcast about all the great things that film and television can do for drama. But Hallie, I also do know that sometimes you get quite cross <laughs> with um, some things on television, and you have this amazingly wonderful analogy about what dramas you know should and shouldn't do with the past. And one of the things you've often said is that you can't make a um, chocolate cake if you start off making a vanilla cake and then try and add the chocolate later um, you know that you need to put the history into the story early on um, so I often use that cake analogy but I credit it to you <laughs> when I'm Great. talking to my students about it <laughs> but yes and I say do you want to make a vanilla cake or a chocolate cake <laughs> let's decide at the beginning of the process <laughs> exactly exactly that's I think that's that's the thing I think I mean my my feeling is I suppose I'm quite in many ways I'm protective of history as a subject because I think the one of the things that makes me very cross Hannah is that um, when I see a drama being commissioned period drama being commissioned and what becomes very obvious is neither the producers nor anybody really involved the director really has any interest in that as a period drama they're not interested they're interested in the story but they're not interested in it being history and I think that's where it fails I think that's where you can see that it's been a vanilla cake that the chocolate's been injected into and I think I I do think one of the frustrating things is that history is one of those things that people think oh you know anybody can pick it up it's 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 like it's not like you know it's not like microbiology where you know you have to study for it it's like oh if I read enough books uh, you know, that's, I, I, I'm a history, you know, a historian and there's an art, there's a set of skills that goes with being a historian and understanding, you know, what, what can be manipulated, what has to stay fixed in, in stories at that time, you know, what exactly the material is that you're dealing with. And I think that's something we bring as historians to it. And, and I think I, I get, I mean, my hackles get up a bit when I see, that it's very obvious that that uh, the the production isn't aware of material as as being history it's just like it's it's us then and that's that is a it's a, you know it, it that's one of my bugbears really and that explains what could to the listeners be a slightly mysterious cake analogy between chocolate and yeah. vanilla it's about getting the ingredients right at the beginning deciding what kind of cake you're baking so what kind of drama you're making and making sure you get the ingredients right from the start you can't just add the history in as the kind of final detail at the ends and just write the story without it it needs to be written with all of those ingredients in place so those decisions need to be made at the start baked into it yes baked into (laughs) it yes (laughs) how your most recent book the five obviously has been a enormous success and very much acclaimed do you think that will make it onto our screens one point well I certainly hope so we're trying um um, and (laughs) we have 
Yes, we have a we have a wonderful writer attached, Gwyneth Hughes, um, oh. who has who did Vanity Fair um, mm. a couple of years ago, and has done a lot of fantastic crime drama as well. Um, and uh, and so that's that. You know, I mean, development is is seems to be like a never ending story. You know, it just goes on and 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 on. Um so who knows? You know, I mean Scandalous Lady W happened relatively quickly. Um uh within I don't know about kind of what's about five, six maybe about six years publication. That's relatively quick. Um you know this who knows how long it will take. Um but I'm I'm hoping it will it will make its way to to our television screens at some point. Very exciting. And can you tell us what you're working on now? I can. Well, f- well. First of all, uh, at the moment, I've been working on a, a fifteen-episode podcast uh, about the five, um, which wow. comes out at the end of September, um, oh. and uh, that's with Pushkin Industries, which are, uh, who are based in the US, um, and uh, it looks at uh, obviously the five women's lives, but lots of issues that come off of that that are still with us today about uh, looks it looks at true crime it looks at violence against women um a, a, a variety of different things um so i've been working on that but um my next book is uh, a book about the murder of bell elmore by dr crippen in 1910 Mm. And uh, it is, so it, it is, again, I'm turning a very well-known story about Dr. Crippen, who murdered his wife, Belle Elmore, and ran off with his receptionist, Ethel the Neve, dressed as father and son. Um, uh, a, a very well-known story. I'm turning it on its head. Um, so, and I'm telling it from the perspectives of the women involved. And when you do that, you get an entirely different story. And... I think it, it's really interesting. I mean, there's um, true crime is a real, uh, you know, fertile field to plow because there there is so much in there. Um, I mean, if you're looking at historical true crime, um, that tells you about the time and the place and about people and about perceptions in the era. And so it's almost like taking a sample of... Um, you know, a, a, like a core sample of a time and, and testing it and seeing what was going on. And this is all about Edwardian society and perceptions of women and, and a, women's agency. I mean, one of the things that I found so fascinating, well, I'm still doing my research, but is the degree to which women were present in the workforce at that time. You know, we tend to only think of women's empowerment at that time through the vehicle of, of suffrage. That wasn't the case at all. I mean, suffrage came about for a reason and it came about because there were so many women working and earning a wage and becoming independent. And it's extraordinary. And this this book is basically all about that. It's really the kind of power of women. And it's the story has been overshadowed by the very typical linear male story of um, hero chases villain, hero catches villain, hero makes world a good place because the villain has been caught. And this is, you know, this is the story of two men. There's so much more to it than mm-hmm. that. 
This sounds oh, very exciting. I can't wait Definitely for that. film material. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's, you know, it gets to what you do so well with your books, Ellie, which is just shift the narrative. And, you know, that there's obviously the story that everyone else was telling over and over again, but actually... Hallie reminds us that there's other ways to tell that story if you just shift the attention a little bit or look at the sources in a different way so that's exactly what Mm. the five did so so brilliantly it reminded everyone they were just obsessed with trying to solve the unsolvable mysteries of the crime and missed so much of the history and it sounds like this next book is going to do something similar so I'm really excited I hope so thank you Now, Hallie, we ask all our applicants to the History Film Club to nominate a favourite film or TV production for our club library. So I was wondering what you would like to nominate. Oh, well, I think one of my all-time favourite films is Barry Lyndon, um, Stanley Kubrick's film. Um, and um, I, I, I can imagine Hannah is smiling as I say this, <laughs> because this is just one of the most beautiful cinematic depictions of the 18th century I think I've ever seen I mean it's 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 incredibly slow it's incredibly picturesque it's you know the attention to detail is extraordinary it's like watching you know moving tableau you know Gainsborough and Reynolds and um and it's just I just think it's a flawless piece of cinema it's certainly a piece of you know incredible art and and so well known and one of our um other film club members Farah Mr Boyvela said that when he was at school in Holland they were given a day off school to go and watch Barry Lyndon at the cinema because it was you know causing such a stir at the time um and it is visually beautiful I have to say and as we're just amongst friends and no one else is going to hear this (laughs) I, I have an increasingly oh kind of fraught relationship with Barry Lyndon because I just now I find it really hard to buy into a narrative where the hero is called Barry. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just, you know, it's just become slightly grating to me now. <laughs> it's, it's well, you know, blame Thackeray. That's his. I know fault. it's his vision of a kind of Georgian, you know, male hero. I think, what name could I use? What name could I use? George? Oh, no, that's too common it's in the 18th century. Barry. Just Barry. I will call him Barry. Yeah. Perfect. That carries all <laughs> of the elements of the hero, which I, I imagine in my mind as I write this story. I just, you know, I just, I just become increasingly annoyed by that decision <laughs> made by Thackeray in 1844, whenever it was that he wrote it. I sort of, it's becoming difficult to get past it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, it's a beautiful piece of art. about Barry oh Hannah you know our producer has just suggested maybe they could have gone with Gary Linden (laughs) Gary Linden no that that sounds too much like a footballer I think (laughs) I think Gary's a pretty 20th century name Gary Linden didn't he play didn't he play for Man U at some point no 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 I think that was West Ham (laughs) <laughs> burn it I don't know burn it yeah that's good so sorry everybody sorry to ruin the Barry Linden yeah. <laughs> oh, it, it will never be the same again I do think I mean I think actually Farah might have picked it didn't he for his for the club library already. did but, he or was it Mad Men he picked oh, did he pick we Mad talked Men? about no, we might, talked like, about Barry Linden but, um, but in any case of course it should be in the library as it yes. is an incredibly beautiful well researched production so thank you Hallie we shall add it to the club oh, library <laughs> you're very, very much. welcome um, but, 
So, Helen, we also ask our um, guests to nominate a pet hate, uh, so something which they can avoid when they come to History Film Club. And it can be a production, if you like, or just an element of a production or something that just annoys you on screen. What would it be? Oh, Hannah, I think we've had this conversation before, and I can't wait to raise it again, which is the 18th century leather frock coat. Um, I cannot stand it it has become a shorthand for like okay let's have tough guy hero tough, tough guy, guy hero. leather tough guy leather you've got to put you've got to put him in a leather frock coat because he's too cool to wear brocade you know man doesn't it's like you know real men don't eat quiche real men don't wear brocade you know i mean come on you know the 18th century was the most kind of gender fluid time for men you know i mean let the guy wear brocade for god's sake or at least least wool you know um but I mean a leather frock coat it's like you know you're trying to make him into the fawns you know and and you know leather does not equal cool I mean have we grown up how old are you 12 you know this is just like ridiculous enough enough I so, think they're going, like, surely they're thinking sexy pirate, aren't they? Is that kind of where oh, it's going? Oh, for God's sake. It's just so <laughs> dumb. It's dumb. That's the word I want to use for it. And then, and then, like, so the, so the sort of female version of that to me is the corset without the chemise. You know, the corset. Oh, yeah, that annoys corset. a lot of people. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> it's just, it's just like, I mean, do you. Anybody who would put that on for 10 minutes would soon realize how bloody uncomfortable it is because the whale bones dig into your skin. There's just the whole idea, like that. that is just wearing the corset entirely wrong. You wore your chemise underneath it because that soaked up all your sweat. It kept, it kept your corset um, cleaner um, because you would always just wash the chemise. But the, 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 the corset against the skin is just such a, it's so daft it's it demonstrates such a lack of understanding of how those clothes were worn um and that just irritates me a lot yeah that I, does annoy a lot of people not having the chemise onto the corset and also that just the whole idea that the corset is always uncomfortable in period dramas that also annoys people quite a lot but if you put the chemise underneath and you can't have that visual cue of the corset coming off and seeing all the you know red the marks boobs. and bruising and everything <laughs> the boobs. just and boobs yeah. <laughs> it just yeah you're gonna get rid of a massive visual metaphor for all period yeah, dramas but that's, you know that, but. But that's no, not but the we should, whole it should thing. go. It should but, go. It should no, go. No, I think Hallie's it right. Go. I think, yeah, we. Yeah, it's I think the, go. it's uncomfortable and it's ridiculous. The the yeah. un, unshamised corset and the leather leather frock coat is a big no. Yeah, good, good. I'm glad we're in agreement on that. We are. So, Hallie, without further ado, it is my great pleasure to welcome you as a fully-fledged member of the History Film Club. Congratulations, Thank you! Thank you! Thank you! Oh, I'm so honoured. I'm so honoured. That, you know... Oh, sorry, what were you going to say? No, I was going to say that, that, you know, I I can just imagine walking into an enormous library of all these wonderful films and we can all sit down together and watch them. That would just be my idea of of lockdown lightning heaven. Well, to make it even better, what we like to do with our new members is buy them a drink from the club bar, which, of course, can make any drink, historical or modern. So, um, Hallie, what can we get you? 
Oh, well, I mean, I think that would have to be a margarita. Amazing. Definitely. I'm sure the Covent Garden ladies would have had one. (laughs) Given half a chance. (laughs) Margarita is on the list. Thank you very much, Harry. So, and thank you very much for listening. Um, I'm Alex Montanzelman. I'm Hannah Gregg. And this has been the History Film Club. Thank you. See you next time. You've been listening to the History Film Club with Alex Montanzelman, Hannah Gregg and Hallie Rubenhold. It's produced by Nat Tapley for Globing Productions and the assistant producer was Abby Robertson. To hear more about Hallie's likes and dislikes and where to choose to go to in time, come and join the Time Travellers Club over at our Patreon page. That's www.patreon.com forward slash History Film Club. 